one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So Harry Brook yet again steals the headlines, or some of them anyway, for England in their T20 series against New Zealand. But will he somehow find a seat on the plane to India for the World Cup? We'll discuss that and also what Joss Butler's side have learnt from the series. We'll hear from England captain Heather Knight after it was announced that uh, the women's side will receive the same match fees as the men and could cricket be introduced at the Olympics. We'll discuss reports that it's set to be a part of the Los Angeles Games in 2028. And former Zimbabwe captain Alistair Campbell joins us to pay tribute to the late great Heath Streak, who sadly passed away this week at the age of just 49. And we'll look at some of the other big stories of the week as 12 England players sign big bash deals and as transfers are plenty in county cricket. So plenty to come over the next hour. As usual, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. And after two hammerings in the first two T20 games, New Zealand bounced back uh, with a dominant victory of their own by 74 runs um, at Edgebaston on a slow-turning pitch. Really interesting, uh, Harmi. It looked like England were going to completely run away with the series and totally dominate it. But... um, yeah, New Zealand, good portents for them, perhaps, uh, playing on a low, slow turner, if it's fair to describe it as that at Edgebaston, uh, a lot better than England managed. Yeah, and that's, I know it's the shortest format of the game, but slightly concerning. Yeah, there's a few different personnel, but, you know, we're going to India and we're going to play on slow turners in, in the 50-over competition. So, and quite a few of the personnel are the same, but I was at Durham on Wednesday night. Um, leading into the into the series, doing the sort of hospitality rounds in the big lounges and people asking questions about what this series is and how it's going to go. And I was going, look at the New Zealand side. This is a good New Zealand side, a really good New Zealand side on paper. Got a lot of IPL experience. And you look at the England side, it's a bit, a bit different. It's a bit young, possibly a bit raw, naive. I was saying New Zealand have got a chance here. And England beat them with seven overs to spare. And I think that, Conditions helped at Chesley Street as well, as well as obviously it was a night game at, at Old Trafford as well. So I, I don't think New Zealanders have hit the ground running since they've got here. But in a day game, when both sides have got, I think, a 50-50 chance of the conditions, New Zealand looked uh, the side that I thought they were, were going to be on the Wednesday. So 
look, I think it's been a, a decent series so far, and I'm, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the England side and said they've they've ticked a lot lot of lot of boxes. What you'd want from the other players that have come in, Ryan Cost has been excellent. But there's an elephant in the room, Manners, and we've been seeing it for two weeks, and he's not going anywhere. And I, I am assuming he's going to the World Cup because England must win the England have got to win the World Cup. They don't take Harry Brook because I just can't believe that a lad from Yorkshire's not in the 15-man squad. Okay, you know it's really interesting. There's a number of international teams around the world who are having late jitters. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Australia included Tim David in their ODI squad. He wasn't selected in that ODI squad to play South Africa in five games, but um, they suddenly thought, you know what, this bloke isn't a T20 specialist. He's much too good for that. So they've popped him in there. They've got Manus Labashain in there as well. So they've got a, a squad of 17 or 18, and England are clearly having the jitters. Marcus Truscothic hinted in his post-match uh, press conference that uh, some may be feeling the pressure uh, of the noise um, that <laughs> Harry Brooks' form is uh, and his talent is is creating. I mean, he scored forty three not out of twenty seven balls, sixty seven off thirty six. So let's do. You, do you know what the biggest problem here is? The ICC's regulation of a fifteen man squad. Hey, fair yeah. enough. In in nineteen eighty seven and, and nineteen ninety two and nineteen ninety five, money was an issue. You know, the ICC were counting the pennies, and you know, they, you know, we can't afford more than fifteen airfares, and we've got hotel rooms and. Breakfast allowance. Oh, for goodness sake, it's a multi-billion pound business. Why can't squads be 16 or 17 or 18? You know, I, I mean, even from a cricketing point of view, having a 15-man squad precludes individual matchups and playing the best team for a, certain conditions. Oh, no, I'm digressing. The question <laughs> is, if if Harry Brooks on the plane, who misses out? Well, that's a, a massive, that's a million-dollar question, I think. I'd love to know Rob Key's answer to that when it eventually comes around. Um, and I think to carry on from what you're saying now about the 15-man squads, yeah, I'm sure boards would like to, they would pay for that extra. And as as well as that, the nine games, the games that England have got to play at all parts of India, travelling around, England are going to, you're going to need more than 15 men, a men's squad. You really, you really are going to need a bigger, bigger squad. So, but that doesn't that doesn't help with the selection because at the minute there's only 15 and you've got to get Harry in. I just look at that top of the order and go, Besto, Roy, Root and Milan. There's one too many in that front. I think Jason Roy seems to be the one that's the most vulnerable when you listen to the way people are talking and form and everything going. I'm not of that opinion. I still think Jason Roy is somebody that England need to go hard at the top of the order. Either I just look at the Milan route selections, two similar types of players, the way the, the, the player with the bat in that number three spot. And I wouldn't want Ben Stokes at number four, as, as much as I want him in number four in 2020 cricket, but not in 50-over cricket, because you talk about the situations that you potentially could get into and the way Ben plays situations very, very well. If he has to go in one higher and has to come up against a, a newer ball and he gets nicked off because the ball's... Swinging around if 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 the conditions suit, and all of a sudden you take away what Ben gives you in that middle towards the latter part of the game, and that for me is where Harry Brook was fitting at number four. So, I think the two obvious ones are Milan or Roy, and it's hard to say, but I think Milan would be the one that would miss out if if I had my way. And I think another one that I think it needs talking about, and people will say yes, you're one-eyed because it's Durham, 
But I think England have to have a serious consideration that Brian Cost has got to go to the World Cup as well because that pierce through the air, the way he bowls, obviously he contributes in the field as well as lower down the order with runs. I think Brian Cost is somebody I think has to has to be uh, traveling at least traveling as a reserve um, because of the way he's performed in this you know twenty twenty uh, twenty over series so far. So I think there's some big questions to be had from the England selectors over the final 15. And it wouldn't surprise me if Kars and Brooke managed to get to India um, and be around that 15-man squad for the first for the first game. Fascinating record Bryden Kars has in T20 cricket for Durham. I mean, he, he just does not look, his record-wise anyway, like a T20 player. I mean, he goes at over nine. His wickets cost something like 40. And yet uh, he pulls on an England shirt and he looks like the finished product. You know, three for 20. He looks like a T20 specialist suddenly. Um, and how about Gus Atkinson? There's me uh, saying that uh, how can England possibly put him in the World Cup squad and he hasn't played an ODI. But he too has has looked the part, just as you said he would last week. Yes, I did. And I, I have to put out my apologies. I was going to ring back to Stewie to get his number to apologise to the lad because I think it was Saturday. I had my headphones on, head down, trying to sort of look as though nobody could see me walking through reception. And I, I didn't notice anybody in reception. I walked straight past this big tall lad, straight to reception, got it. And then when I got on the left, I thought, oh, no, that was Gus Atkinson. I re- and, I, and I thought, I've just walked straight past him. And I, I should have sort of said congratulations on your debut and everything like that. So the moment had passed. I didn't realise it was Gus until I'd, I'd got in the lift. Um, but what a what a start he had! Old Trafford, he was brilliant. Yeah, the the, the hundred competition this year has been different because there's been Pierce bowlers involved, and for me, he is the point of difference. He is somebody who gets close to stumps, bowls quickly, um, uses utilizes his height very very well. Um, and I think on them Indian wickets in that middle period when England are looking for a wicket, it looks as though he, he can reverse swing it as well at decent pace. I know he's not Joffre or Mark Wood's pace, he's not express, but he's quick enough to cause a lot of problems. And he was uh, utilising his height. I think this kid might just have a decent World Cup for England and could be somebody that England used in the middle period to hit the deck hard, to try and force a wicket when nothing's happening. Um, and I think you might use him to get good players out if they get if they get going in the middle. So I was so impressed by him at... at um, at Old Trafford, he went for a few at Edgebaston. But if you bowl quickly and you're looking at tech wickets, I'm not really bothered if you go for a few. I think wickets are your currency in the shortest format of the game. And this kid looked as though he's uh, he, he can take them. So it was it was good to see. Not sure if my frustration came across sufficiently earlier, uh, but I've got a real bee in my bonnet about this 15-man squad thing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it just... I think you're limiting the possibilities mm-hmm. and the chances of the best team winning. It should be 17. It, you know, I mean, you're right. Atkinson and, and Carson and, and Harry Brook, they should they should all be in the squad. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it really pains me I'm going to say this because I, I really don't want Joffrey to go anywhere near India for the lads' kids more than anything else. But if, if you had a bigger, bigger squad, you could. That's the next part of his development, coming back into the to cricket from an injury point of view. You know, you could take him around and use him, keep him in the rehab, where making sure that he's still going well. And you know, if you do get a chance to play him, you could play him in a World Cup, but limit him in fifteen-man squad. Then you've got like Sir Reece Topley, who you know what Reese's body's like. 
sticking Reese on a plane for nine times going to going to games around India, that's going to cause him more problems than than actually playing the game because the size of it, the, the size of his frame, he's you know, he's six foot six. Getting him on a plane, getting him out of a plane, you know, hotels, everything that goes with traveling around, that's got to come into consideration as well. That's without thinking right. The ball is talented. We need him on the field and. We're going to have to possibly play in one, miss one. You know what Mark Wood's track record's like when it comes to injuries. Ben Stokes' knee. All these things come into consideration. So to only have 15, it's not a cop-out because I want more players because I think you know we've got more better players than you know, a bigger pool of players than other, other nations have got. But do you seriously think that ICC have got to, got to look at this and go, you know what, from a health point of view, from a player's perspective, um, I'm surprised Fika haven't gotten involved and said to the ICC, our nations need more players to, at their disposal. If you're going to have a, a tournament around India where everybody's going to play each other in a short space of time, I think we need to we need to look at the number of players that qualify for a World Cup squad. In football, yes, you've got substitutes, but they've gone from 22 to 25. Um, I think I think cricket needs to have a look and, and up their up their allowance for players to. Uh, for boards to pick because I think from a health point of view, I think they might need it. I don't know if England will be on chartered planes during the World Cup, but if they're on the regular scheduled Indian domestic flights, there's no business class and there is not very much leg room. So good luck to Reese Topley and the other big lads as well. <laughs> You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Talking of players who aren't 100% fit and who are carrying injuries, uh, Harmy, uh, it was announced uh, overnight that Kane Williamson is going to be included in the New Zealand World Cup squad of 15. They haven't named that squad yet, but they have confirmed that Williamson will be in it. And that is great news uh, for New Zealand. He's um, actually, let's hear from the man himself. Yeah, obviously, really exciting, really pleasing to sort of be at the stage that I'm at now, to be selected in the squad uh, and... You know, still uh, a month to go before the first game, which is all important time to to keep uh, improving. That's New Zealand captain Kane Williamson, who has uh, battled back from a massive, massive injury that seemed at the time five months ago to have ruled him out of the World Cup. So he might not be fit for the first uh, fortnight or so, Harmy, but he's been netting and training and running, and uh, it seems he's almost almost there. Yeah, he's almost there. I was with him on. On Sunday at the the Edge Baston game, did a Q and A uh, before the game alongside Ollie Stone, who is coming back this week as well. We wish Ollie all the best from from his injury. But from Kane's point of view, he talked about obviously wanting to to play in the World Cup. They're doing everything they possibly can to to get him there. And obviously, yeah, I was hosting the um, the Q and A, so going through his record, averaging 55, 90 odd Test matches and. Yeah, you're in the company of greatness when it comes to cricket because he is not only a, an unbelievable player and will go down as one of the very best that's ever played the game, the humbleness about the character, the person, um, and the way he talks about the game of cricket was was brilliant to, to be sort of just sitting next to him. So see him coming back and playing for New Zealand, that's massive. I really think that is big, especially if New Zealand is still in the tournament when he does come back after a week, 10 days, this nation, a small island, they've got a thing with World Cups, haven't they? The final, the last two, been in the last sort of four or five semi-finals. And I think who would argue that the players that they've got, they've got some exciting talent. 
when it comes to the latter, latter stages. Um, if Kane Williamson gets himself in a position where he's fit, then all of a sudden you can't rule New Zealand out getting to that sort of latter part of the, the knockout stage. But the World Cup needs it. It really does. You know, we want the best players in the world to be playing in this World Cup. And Kane Williamson is definitely one of them. And he's somebody who I think I think everybody, the all cricket fans, no matter where you where you're from, enjoy the way Kane Williamson plays and bats. And you know, fingers crossed he does make it because I think New Zealand do need their leader. Okay, moving on to another big news story in the last couple of days. England, the ECB, have joined Australia um, and, in fact, um, Cricket South Africa in announcing that uh, match fees for their women cricketers will now be the same as the men. And this is what England captain Heather Knight had to say on that. When you look at things that happen, like the Ashes, the, the amount of support we've had, the momentum that that series had and the support that it had, I think that felt like a real watershed moment. So, yeah, I guess this is kind of following on from that and, and just a, another progression. I think it, it doesn't really feel like a, a big watershed moment. It's obviously really good. I think there's still areas that, that we can get better and, and invest in, in in the pathway and making the domestic game fully professional um, is, is another key priority to continue to have that sustainability of the women's game in the future. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously really pleasing, but hopefully there's there's more things down the line that, that will continue to improve. That was Heather Knight welcoming uh, the fact that England's women will now be paid the same match fees as the men. That is different. I just want to make this very clear. It does not mean that England's women cricketers will be paid the same by the ECB. Their match fees will be the same their contracts will not be the same. So let's just make that distinction. It is an important one. But but I think, you know, that's absolutely the right thing. We've said years, like many other people, do the England women generate the same revenue for the ECB as the men? We are now at that point. We have seen record crowds. We've seen grounds sold out. And, you know, the women's game is will very, very soon be as attractive on an absolutely level footing as, as the men's game. So um, slightly embarrassing that it's taken this long for the match fees to catch up, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. But I think when you when you look at it, you, you, you're right. It's brilliant that women have been paid the, the same match fees. And to push the point that you, you're mentioning, and it is right, because you've got a load of, load of chauvinistic people going, I don't even want to say what people say when it comes to putting not just women's cricket down, but putting women's sport down. And then you, you've got to say, well, right, how do we get the women's fees parity with the men's? Well, we build a brand, we build a product, and we make sure it's sustainable. And you know what? I think the best thing that's come out of the 100 is the women's the women's side of it, much more than the men's side of it. You look at the way the, the women's game has gone from a, an international point of view, the Ashes, 10 times better than what it was last time, a thousand times better from a crowd point of view than the last time that comes. So when you put all that in a in, in a row, uh, I know a lot of women, uh, the women's cricketers have been saying, we don't want paid the same as the men. We just want recognised more. We want to know that the brand that we're building gets rewarded. And I think that's what the frustration has possibly been from, from the women's game. And now, rightly so, they're getting rewarded with the same match fees as what the men are getting. And I think that is I think that is a great example of where women's cricket has come, women's sport has come. You watch the, the Women's Football World Cup, you know, they see the you know the young girls going over the park and playing and the shirts that they're wearing and 
you know, just the clamour for the, even even the women's goalkeeping shirt from uh, from a certain brand, the fight to to get that and the win the win that they got off that is huge. So for me, I think women's cricket is probably one of the one of the the, the best things in cricket at this minute in time from a brand that's going forward and it's been proven this year the way the the way the girls have been playing. So to be rewarded, I think it's just reward. And I think they deserve, I think, a chance to not go on their own. Because I don't think it's it, it's it's there yet from a hundred point of view. But I think it's it's getting there very, very soon where you look at the the crowd for the test match. You look at the crowd for the, the women's T20 and ODIs, and I think the hundred crowds, you know, twenty one thousand for a, the women's final. If anybody wants to shoot down women's sport over men's sport, numbers don't lie. You know, people are coming out to watch it. So for me, that is just another tick in the box of where the women's game's going um, in this country and hopefully around the world as well. Yeah, well, I was going to make that point. Um, it's great to see women's game internationally, the general standard rising and teams who have traditionally struggled against other teams like Pakistan against South Africa. They've just beaten them 3-0 in uh, in Karachi in a T20 series. And Sri Lanka uh, really giving England uh, a run for their money. Um, England are uh, going to have to try and win the decider without the likes of Sophie Eccleston and Nat Siver Brunt. But I wanted to ask you about Izzy Wong, who has struggled for rhythm and struggled with a run-up um, throughout the, the summer or for long periods of the summer anyway. Uh, and she was played in that uh, second T20 and looked bereft of, of any kind of rhythm. Two overs cost 24. Before I ask you about it, let's just hear what Heather Knight said about the decision to play a clearly out-of-form Izzy Wong. We wanted to, to get a bit of context of where she's at and Izzy wanted a bit of context of where she's at as well in, in terms of playing her today. And she she knew that after a couple of really good training sessions, she felt in a really good place. But yeah, look, she's she's learning. She's obviously struggled for rhythm a little little bit this summer. Um, and my role was just to to keep backing her. We know what sort of cricketer she can be, which is why we've kind of backed her in when when she's been struggling a little bit. But uh, I guess a tough day. And, and sometimes um, when you're exposed to it in that that sort of pressure situation, it can make it tougher. But she's a pretty resilient character. Um, she's a pretty positive person, so I, I don't think it'll affect her too much. That's England captain Heather Knight on the decision to play uh, Izzy Wong. I'm really interested in your thoughts on this because I guess you would have been in this situation before. You know, there are two ways, or pr- probably more than two ways, of, of looking at it. You know, you, you've got a, a gun fast bowler, you, you want him or her to play, you know, they're struggling but you hope that they'll find that rhythm, that it'll magically return with when you pull on an England shirt. Many coaches would say, no, that doesn't work like that. You know, you, you need to be uh, really in sync uh, before you walk out to represent your country. Your thoughts? You do, you do. But you also, I've seen so many bowlers bowl so well in the nets and out in the middle, and then they get, they get uh, in the middle practice and then they get out on the field and first ball goes for four and... You know, they stand at the top of the mark going, which is my left foot and which is my right foot? Because I know one of them's got to go in front of each other. It's so difficult when it comes to the mental side of the game. And let's be fair, the higher you go in, in sport, it's all in between the ears. It's all between the left and right ear. And I think sometimes when you get into pressurised situation, you possibly start doubting yourself. Because you haven't come into the game with any form behind it, then all of a sudden it makes it doubly as hard but it's easy, just as easy. The one thing I would say to, to Izzy would be that 
it's just as easy to find form than it is to to sort of come out of it because all you have to do is get your rhythm on one ball, you land it in the right area, you hit the stumps or you nick off or somebody plays a poor shot, you've got a wicket, you feel a hundred times better and then you go, well, I've put two in a row in the same spot, three in a row in the same spot, talking from somebody who couldn't hit a beach towel from 22 yards sometimes and know what it feels like. You've just got to somehow steer calm do the process, which is get back to your mark and figure out what, how to get to the, you know, from the, the top of your mark to the stumps and try and repeat that and try and get better each time you do it and try and be as as good at being as repetitive as you possibly can. But there's many, many times where I've, there was one time in Perth, it was hilarious. I lost my run-up. In, in my run-up, I kept hitting like a, it was, I think it was a drain or a, it was a sprinkler head. And throughout the day, I kept hitting it. And I mean, my mind was going. And as I was getting more tired, I was trying to move left of it. I was trying to move right of it. And then I just went. I got the yips. I couldn't run in. I was like, I hope skipping the jump. I was like a triple jump. I run in. Damian Martin and Ricky Ponting were batting at the time. And I mean, it was hilarious. I didn't know when I was going to let go of the thing. But the thing was, I was bowling like 10 mile an hour faster off this hop, skip and a run jump. So NASA wouldn't take me off. And I remember walking back to um, back to me, Mark and Ricky Ponton, past Ponton, and I said, "Mate, I've got no idea when I'm letting go of this ball." And he just started laughing, and he went, "If you don't, he says, what chance of me and Marto go down near the end?" So you can lose your run up, you can lose your rhythm, and still be effective. I think you just have to you have to make sure that mentally you don't lose yourself. And I think one of the biggest things I would say to Izzy is. You can go out of rhythm. You can lose your run-up. You can feel that you're not 100%. But as long as you stay within yourself, that you you try and go through your process and know what you're trying to do, then you'll have a chance to get it back just as quickly as you lost it. Words of wisdom. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time county championship winner, Steve Harmison. Uh, Next up, we'll pay tribute to the late, great Heath Streak, who sadly passed away this week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. 
And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available now via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. A sad day in cricket with the passing of former Zimbabwean captain Heath Streak. I'm sure that uh, many of you will have been aware of it. There was, of course, the false news of his passing um, 10 days ago. Uh, He was very unwell. He had been very unwell, battling colon cancer for a long time. And as promised, rejoined by uh, his former teammate and close friend, former Zimbabwean captain himself, Alistair Campbell. Um, Al, he had been very unwell for a long time, but... He chose to to end his days on his beloved farm just outside of Bulawayo, didn't he? And I, I think that um, you know, if there is such a thing as a as a peaceful passing, he may have achieved it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we um, I suppose got to know about it in February of uh, this year, and uh, John Rennie was instrumental in getting a, a group together of former teammates uh, all over the world to try and give him uh, as much support as possible. But the initial diagnosis was not good. Um, and, and and we were under no illusion that uh, you know that it was good and but knowing the character of the man you you know regardless of the diagnosis you you thought that he's going to beat this you know there's 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 where there's a will there's a way and he had a huge will um yeah there was always the the hope and on the group and he was uh, initially participating and uh, being the humorous uh, person that he is and trying to make light of uh, what was transpiring but the bottom line is, and and subsequently, you know, finding out that uh, the doctor had given him no hope. You know, there was it was serious uh, sort of diagnosis when he did go down to Joburg. The, the cancer markers were high, so he did go on this experimental uh, sort of drugs, experimental therapy. But it just, uh, yeah, it, it it just didn't pan out in the end. So, as you say, I mean, he he made the the choice uh, to go and uh, live out his last days on the farm, surrounded by by family, friends, and, uh, you know, being in the bush where, where he always liked to be. So, uh, as you said, if there ever is such a thing as a peaceful passing, that definitely was it. And I was to talk to us about his streak, the um, the cricketer, because he's he was 5, I'm um, 45 this year. He's five years, nearly five years older than, than me. And my sort of coming into cricket, 14, 15, 16, streak, he was... He was somebody that was was in the Zimbabwe side. He was somebody that came in, I think, in nineteen ninety three. So I always remember him as one of the the sort of the bowlers I was always looking up to coming into into cricket. Um, and he was a wonderful competitor, fantastic bowler. Um, but when he first came into the the Zimbabwe side, what was he like as a as a character and a, as a man, and also obviously the the early years as a cricketer. Yeah, good question. That I, he um, when he first came in, I mean, he came and just started school. He always had uh, had the ability, and you know, this big burly lad that uh, that could bowl a really good pace. And uh, one of his biggest attributes was uh, that big outswinger, and uh, you know, really, really troubled right-handed batsman. And then as he went on, developed the off cutter as well to to hit the pad on the off stump. And uh, so he was uh, when he first came in, he had the skills. You. You, you sort of looked at him and he was an athlete. So he wasn't a typical fast bowler that you put a fine leg that's going to stop the ball with his foot and throw it back in underarm. I mean, he was a gun fielder as well. And, uh, you know, the first fielding practice, you're expecting, you know, who's this guy getting to to know him? And he's he's sliding around everywhere, throwing it in from the boundary at a million miles an hour. I mean, he was really gifted on that front. Um, and then uh, on his batting side, I mean, he was no mug. I mean, he could bat at uh, number seven or eight. And 
as his career progressed, I think that, you know, the body lets you down a bit. So where he became a bit more skillful and wily insofar as his bowling is concerned, his batting really picked up and uh, he made some great contributions towards the latter half of his career. So, you know, when you talk about a genuine all-rounder, he had the, the portents were there from a very early age. And uh, it's it's how you take the next step. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talented guys around that come through and some make it, some don't. But with him, he was he had a thirst for knowledge. He had a thirst to learn. And he, he had big shoulders. He wanted responsibility. He wanted to, to be the best. He wanted to excel at the highest level. And that came through from uh, from really from the get-go. So, you know, having someone like that where you could say, well, hold on, we've got a, a couple of world-class batters when he did come in so far as Flower and Houghton are concerned. Now there's uh, potential to have a really world-class opening bowler. And add to that the sort of remnants of being a, a classy all-rounder as well that he would grow into. You know, the sort of, for me, uh, right from the get-go, there was this jovial guy. And, and you know what? He, he brought light to the changing room from the moment he, he walked in there. And always keen for a joke, always keen for a practical joke, and no matter who it was, from from the coach to uh, to the captain. And, you know, some sort of took... Uh, took umbrage at that some of the senior players saying you know who's this this lighty as we call them in Zimbabwe who's who's the lighty coming into the changing room and uh, and sort of uh, who does he think he is and whatnot but it soon became infectious and uh, as I said right from the get-go really jovial character full of the joys of life but you know a really quality uh, cricketer and uh, and someone right from the beginning that you knew had a, had a high ceiling. We shouldn't really talk numbers um, because he was uh, so much more than that. But, uh, I mean, 236 wickets at 28 is a staggering record, um, particularly in a, in a country that was more often than not under the pump on the field. But as you said, also just under 2,000 runs with a Test 100. My memories of him, uh, of, a, you know, a, a simmering fast bowler, like many fast bowlers, always sort of on the point of boiling over. But then, as you said, these bursts of humour, I mean... <laughs> If anybody was to break the ice in a pressure situation, and let's face it, you were under pressure a lot, it, you know, it would have been him. You know, there's, uh, you know, you sort of, uh, now that he's uh, passed, you don't really reminisce too much, but now that he's passed and you think back to, you know, some of the, the dark times in, in test cricket where you're on flat wickets, nothing's going against you uh, or going for you. Everything's going against you. You know, they, we, we played a lot against the subcontinent sides in the early years. And you've got uh, Muhammad Yusuf, Yusuf Johanna there just milking it around. And, you you know, you just you, you don't know where to go. And, and and Streaky would be there coming into the change. I mean, something invariably, even in the, in, in, you know, they, they sort of 400 for two and you're, you're going, what are we doing? What, what's going on here? And he would he would find a way of getting guys up in the change room, taking the mick out of somebody or, or, or you know, he was great at his impersonation. So he would go out there and uh, and take off everybody from uh, the way they batted to the way they bowled, to the way they fielded, to the coach as well. I know John Hampshire, when he first came in, used to get a bit irritated with all his, all his antics, you know, trying to tell him to focus on the game. But he used to, you know, take the mick... Uh, John John Hampshire and behind his back, so he always he he, he was uh, he added a bit of mirth to even the darker situation. As you mentioned, you know, in those early years, we we were under the pump, and uh, you know, at, you know, he would have to carry the most of that on on the field because he he bowled probably more overs than than he should have done. Put it that way for a, for a fast bowler and. You know, had he not bowled all those unnecessary overs, he probably would have uh, had a bit more longevity or or had a bit more pace in his in in yesteryear. But uh, he he bowled a lot of overs and had to to carry the attack over all those years. I'm uh, I'm very I was very jealous of of Heath Street. He, my my home, well, obviously home county Durham. One of my sort of memories of him was um, when he bowled the first ball in the history of Test cricket at Chester Street at Nasrudin. 
won the toss and finally made the right decision by batting first around that time. Um, but he obviously he batted first, and I was I would love to bowl the first ball on on my home ground, but he Street got a chance to do that. What was he like in not just in in sort of pressurized situations, but he was massive in World Cups for Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe played a lot against, like you mentioned, the, the subcontinent when they first came in. You had an unbelievable side when it comes to the two Flower Brothers, like yourself, and you mentioned Davy Houghton, and obviously the heat streak from a bowling point of view. But it was World Cups where you probably got the chance to play against the very, very best. Um, and he was always somebody that stood out. Yeah, uh, and, and he loved, I mean, like all, you know, great players, they love the pressure situations. I mean, it's like the golfer going, you know, you play to go down the stretch on Sunday. That is what it is. And that's, uh, you know, so he did all the the hard work and the donkey work and, and you know, unglamorous situations and, and wasn't afraid to, uh, to take on that responsibility. But... Given a chance to uh, perform at the highest level, big crowd, uh, lots at stake, he was the first guy to put his hand up. And, uh, you know, yeah, World Cups, uh, uh, particularly in 1999, I mean, you know, we had a really good side assembled there with, uh, and, you you know, you mentioned those names. Neil Johnson had a terrific World Cup then as well. But Strictly was outstanding with the, with the new ball and uh, some... Uh, Gritty runs late down the order. I mean, not only World Cups. I can remember, you know, games in New Zealand, uh, games uh, yeah, in the subcontinent. Streaky winning it with the bat. I mean, he could hit it a, a long way and uh, was really uh, adept at finishing uh, innings. And uh, fielding, I mean, you, you look at, you know, some of the runouts. If you pull up some of the footage, some of those runouts from the boundary and whatnot and fielding in the circle, I mean, it was just such a great attribute. And, uh, and uh, yeah, a man for the big occasion, not one to shirk uh, when, the, when the chips were down and no one's watching. And as I said, uh, you know, you're on a flat wicket, did his work then, but you could count on him in the big situations. And he, he, he liked being in those big situations. And uh, invariably, or more often than not, he performed in those big situations. Finally, Alistair, you look on, uh, on the Twitter feed and various other social media platforms, there's barely a professional cricketer in the last 25 years who didn't stay in the guest lodges on his farm at some point, um, you know, I was thinking Kumar Sangakara. I mean, how did he get a chance? So, but Streaky was like that, didn't he? Just open arms, welcomed everybody uh, onto the game farm. And it was a very, very special experience to stay there. Um, what of um, Nadine and, and the kids now? And his father, Dennis, of course, uh, he's still there on the farm. Uh, one of my favourite stories is about how the two of them played in the same first-class uh, game together um, for um Land in the Logan Cup final when Dennis came out of retirement but but what of the future and, and the family and the farm so yeah uh, look I, I think that uh, Streaky not only from Zimbabwe but played a, a lot of seasons for Warwickshire and uh, obviously did some coaching stints for big sides and big competitions around the world so I think he's uh, managed to to set him, set himself up I know towards uh, the end, his uh, eldest son uh, was is at school in England, actually uh, at Brighton College, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Nadine was spending a bit of time uh, in the UK, so it's up. Uh, look, I'm sure they would have talked about that as a family. Uh, we've just been there for support and uh, you know to try and keep them going through these times, and I'm sure that uh, they've uh, talked about what the plan is moving forward. And uh, I'm not quite sure about that at, at this stage, but I think there's uh, you know they've they've uh, they've got a lot of cattle on the on the farm there, and uh, I think that uh, you know Nadine will and the kids will be okay they, they he's left behind uh, a, a great legacy uh, a huge support network so if there is any uh, any issues uh, there will be someone there to pick up the slack there's there's no doubt about that and uh, it's just uh, as you said not a lot of people get the opportunity to you talk about going out on your terms no one really wants to go out on streaky's terms insofar as the a lingering cancer that you know you're dying for uh, from 
but what it did give him was an opportunity to to sit all his kids down, his wife down. I know they did that at the end and really say goodbye properly. And, and he was able to do that. And finally, Alistair, um, the eight-year ban came as a massive shock to absolutely everybody. Streaky vehemently denied any involvement in match-fixing, um, but um, he did um, admit to being paid, I think, uh, in a Bitcoin for providing information, which was against ICC regulations. Was that as much of a shock to, to you as it was to, to everybody else? And It seemed very out of character. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I think that the initial reaction was, uh, you know, that shock, anger, uh, you know, how can our, our hero, and, and then he was that to a lot of people, how can our hero, you know, have done this, you know, we've been let down. And I, I think that was the initial reaction. And then, uh, you know, once he came out and, uh, you know, and made the differentiation between giving information and throwing games. And uh, he said, you know, I never threw a game. I, I I think everybody believed that. I believe that. And 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 that he wouldn't have thrown a game that he that he gave information to bookmakers or to nefarious individuals. Uh, yes, uh, he admitted to that. That did happen. So is it a taint on uh, an otherwise uh, illustrious career? Yes, it is. You can't you can't move away from that. But had he started doing things to redeem himself and work with the ICC and work with community to pass on his experience and to to make sure that he prevents other people from getting into those sort of situations? Absolutely, he had started doing that. And would he have bounced back and got into a coaching role and contributed to to cricket? Uh, you know, after his ban from uh, 2029 onwards. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, he would have uh, been able to go back and been stronger for it. So, as I said, I think it was, yeah, it was more, I can't believe a man of his stature and and what he's done for cricket and done for Zimbabwe, you know, did this. Um, But as time, time heals. And and I think that uh, he would have been able to bounce back from that. Many thanks for your time, Alistair. And um, wonderful to see Zimbabwe cricket on the up after uh, many, many years of uh, of struggle. And uh, we look forward to England playing a test match against them again next next summer. 2025. We'll see you there, Manners. Manners, before we get to the break, what about your abiding memories of, of Heath Streak? I mentioned mine there. He bowled the first ball at test cricket on my home ground. I was so jealous of him. I'm still, je- I'm still jealous of him because I was desperate to do that. Um, but, you know, he was... An infectious man. We've just heard from his former captain, um, but you knew him very, very well. Um, and what do you remember about the great East Street? So many stories, but um, I think his first international coaching gig was as bowling coach of uh, Bangladesh, and uh, I remember being in Dakar and, and catching up with uh, Streaky um, before uh, a one-day international, and um, he he said uh, we've got to go out for for dinner um, after the game, and. Um, we he took us uh, to a very very small little restaurant, and he'd been moaning about uh, his inability to find the quality and more importantly the size of steak uh, <laughs> to which he had become accustomed uh, throughout his life. And um, he said, "You know, this is a wonderful country, and and the cricket's great, and everybody loves the game, but you can't get a decent steak anywhere." But uh, he found this little restaurant, and he befriended a chef. And um, well, I have to say that the steak was falling over the sides of the plate when it was uh, delivered to him. And it was in the quiet little tucked away in the corner of the restaurant because, you know, eating a piece of meat that big in, in Bangladesh wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't custom. And I, I just remember my, my jaw dropped and I saw the size of this piece of meat. And he looked up at me and said, you don't get this big eating vegetables, mate. <laughs> yeah, he's a big, strong man. And, and cricket wise manners, there's times... I mentioned to, to Alistair, he carried New, uh, Zimbabwe cricket because 
you know, the Farrell brothers went, Alistair Campbell went, Davy Houghton went, but Streaky, as in when one of the sort of the, the good players and, and, and Andy's case, probably the great players left, it was left to Streaky to basically carry Zimbabwe cricket, both as a cricketer, but as a leader as well. He did, and he accepted the challenge. And as Alistair said, he wanted that responsibility and he loved it and he was ambitious. He became national coach of Zimbabwe as well for uh, a couple of years, which is a job and responsibility that he always wanted. But yeah, on the field, he did. Um, you know, And when he was captain, he was the one who overbowled himself more than any other captain. Um, you know, he just... Um, he wouldn't take the ball off himself because he wanted that responsibility. And um, yeah, absolutely inspirational figure. And he'll be very sorely missed. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Let's talk Olympics, Harmy. T20 cricket in the Olympics. Let's face it, there's so much spare time in the international calendar. Why not fit in uh, another <laughs> event? <laughs> I, know, I, I know I'm being facetious, but yeah, the Times ran a story. It sounded very, very confident that uh, the T20 cricket would be part of the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. Um, eight teams, two groups of four, men and women. It's a big logistical operation, of course. Um, the 2032 Olympics are in Brisbane. I'm sure they'd welcome cricket there. Talk of India bidding for the 2036 Olympics. But... I, I guess a few years ago, and for many years before that, I thought cricket's just not an Olympic sport. It has featured once before, I think in 1900. But I, I, I'm kind of beginning to come round to the idea now. I don't know what's changed, but, I, you know, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem quite as inappropriate as, as it used to. No, I think, it's, I think it's the right time to bring the, the, the cricket into the Olympics. I've always said that if cricket became an Olympic sport, Wow, this is this is a game changer. It really is to get it into get it into the Olympics. And you're right to go where we don't have a we have we have loads of space to to fill it in. Um, so that's going to be a an interesting one for the ICC. If I was ECB, I'd be slightly concerned. I really would. I think it's great. Who plays in it? Is it Great Britain? Does it become the England side? Obviously, Ireland, Scotland, and everything that that goes with that. It'll have to be a GB side, so it will be like football a few years ago when um, I can't remember who was manager. I think Stuart Pearce was manager of the of the Great Britain side. Ryan Giggs was was captain. This is for the MLC. This is the the Americans trying to get their piece of time, game time when it comes to twenty over cricket, and their big flagship tournament is going to be around a similar time when English cricket's being played. The hundreds on. If I was ECB, I'd be concerned about this because. We haven't got money in this country. Yeah, we might have we might have created the great game and we might think we're custodians of the great game. But we unfortunately, we haven't got the money to, to fund a franchise tournament without outside help. Um, the Americans have, obviously the Indians have, and everybody, a lot of other countries have because of getting outside help. Um, if we get Olympics, cricket, T20 in the, in, the, uh, in the Olympics, then all of a sudden that Major League Cricket tournament just goes to a whole, for me, a whole new level. Um, and that would be, a, I think, a huge, huge head-to-head, which we'll have a franchise tournament that we have in this country because it'll be played at the same time. So I think it's fantastic. I think it's brilliant that cricket could be an Olympic sport. Um, and with the three Olympics that are potentially in a row after um, the American Olympics, um, it could be there for quite a while. So 
you know, for the future kids of this game that's at 15, 16, 17, they've got a chance to play in the Olympics. Um, you ask the golfers, and the golfers go, oh, I went over and played, and Justin Rose won the gold medal. That meant a lot to Justin Rose. You know, Ricky Fowler talked about it, representing America, USA in the Olympics. That meant a huge, a huge amount to these individuals. Um, and I think it will for for the the nations, the eight nations that's going to be, or the eight teams that are going to be playing it. So I think it potentially, potentially is a game changer for for our sport, which is, is great. But I also think it should, should be a little watch and a concern, the ECB, about what it potentially could do with, with, with cricket in America, challenging whatever franchise tournament we have around that time. Has uh, featured in the Commonwealth Games, of course. Um, it was in Birmingham. Um, the women's game was in uh, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, and that was a great success. Uh, it actually also featured in the the men's uh, the men's game featured in the 1998 Commonwealth Games, which was the one and only time South Africa won a tournament. It <laughs> actually beat Australia in the final. Um, let's talk Big Bash then. Uh, the international player auction. Um, was concluded a couple of days ago. Twelve England players um, have uh, been signed up. Now, interesting, there's uh, a lot being said and written and speculated about the fact that the Big Bash clashes with England's white ball tour of the West Indies. But I don't know how many of the 12 uh, would be frontline starters, apart from Harry Brook. But let's be completely honest about this, this tour in the Caribbean. It's a tourist tour. Uh, in other yeah. words, it's for the Barmy Army. It's a money-making thing. It, it's the West Indies Cricket Board need the tour, three T20s, three ODIs. And if I was the ECB or Rob Key, I'm, I'm looking at those 12 players. Harry Brook clearly is going to be um, a, a starter, but Jamie Overton, Chris Jordan, Sam Hain, Tom Curran, James Vince, Rian Ahmed, Sam Billings, Zach Crawley. They, I think, can all play Big Bash. They don't have to worry about uh, a clash there. If I was Rob Key, would you or, or, or would you be saying to Harry Brook, okay, you've got a $200,000 offer, I'm guessing at that, to play in the Big Bash, or do you want to go to Barbados and Antigua to, to play in three ODIs and three T20s, which don't really <laughs> carry that much weight? W- would you be saying, Harry, off you go, pack your bags, Melbourne Stars, Go play. Yeah, I'd say go and play, especially if you've won the World Cup for me, if I can get you in spot. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, it, it, it's an interesting dilemma. It's an interesting question. I, I, initially, straight away, I'm looking at Brooke Hain, Tom Curran coming back into the England fold, Rian Ahmed. If that big bash is not happening, I'd be saying these four, possibly Crawley, to see what he's like in the in the shorts format of the game. From an experiment point of view, there'd be the names out, out of them that I'd possibly be thinking about going to the Caribbean. But with the money that's on offer and the chance to play in the Big Bash, I wouldn't stop any of them any of them playing. I think the likes of Ollie Pope, who who missed the back end of the summer, going to India, I'd, I'd make sure he's on that trip. So, yes, it's an experimental squad. Yes, it's for the Barmy Army. Um, but you want to take a squad that is going to compete and going to win. And there's one or two names there. Sam Hain would be an interesting one if he plays against Ireland, which it looks like we're going to have a B team playing against Ireland. The likelihood is I'd want Sam Hain to go to the Caribbean because I want to see what he's like in an England shirt. If he's getting paid a fortune to go in Australia, then it's a different argument. But that's now the the biggest thing for Rob Key and the selection panel to work out is 
can we keep these these lads happy and can we keep them in finances from outside and also have a, a happy balance to, p- to potentially look at them as England cricketers with three lines on their shirt under pressure in international cricket for further down the line. I think that's the happy balance that you know Rob Key and the, the selectors have got to find a way. But I don't think you can turn down a, a financial offer like the Big Bash to go and play in a, in a competition against the West Indies where neither side, let's be face it, neither side will really fancy putting their, not only their strongest sides out, but after the World Cup, it, it's it's pr- not not meaningless because you play for your country. But I don't think it'll be high-quality cricket. OK, I'm going to move on to the county championship now and uh, the, the comings and goings and the signing of overseas players. Am I imagining it? Or are counties at the back end of the season signing overseas players for the sake of it? Uh, yeah, Middlesex have signed Giant Yadav, um, the Indian off-spinner, whose record is is okay, pretty good. He's got a first-class average of 32. But Josh DeCaries is uh, is taking wickets. He's an off-spinner um, for Middlesex. He's just taken seven for... I thought he was an opening batter, by the way, but he seems to be taking lots of wickets with his off-spin, um, Michael Atherton's uh, son. Surrey have signed Indian A-batter, Sai Sudarsan, for three county championship games. Alex Stewart said... I've heard great things about him. Surrey have got a squad of 37. <laughs> why, why, why do they need to sign? I, I don't I don't know. It just seems peculiar to me. I, yes, you're allowed to sign overseas players, but it's not a regulation. You don't have to. No, you don't have to, but it just shows you the, the panic of either wanting to win the championship, which obviously Surrey are in the middle of trying to, to win their, their title back. Middlesex trying to steal because they're, they're still in, I think, and with a shout of getting relegated, even though they're probably in pole position with the likes of Northampton and Kent down at the bottom. So I think teams are desperate not to be in Division 2. I think that Division 1 in the county championship means a hell of a lot because of the cricket that has been played in the counties, the higher-profile counties, test-playing venues are in Division 1. And I think it just shows that the, the, the need to be in Division 1 for championship cricket next season is massive, is huge. Is it a knock against some saying some of our good young players aren't good enough? Possibly, but I'd rather give I'd rather give our, our youngsters a chance. But when you're director of cricket and your job's on the line and you've got to make decisions to try and keep your teams in the championship, it seems that a foreign player is always better than a local player. Sometimes that doesn't always work, especially if you're coming from a subcontinent into England. I know it's been beautiful weather over the last couple of days, but yeah, Yadav and the boy from Surrey going back in of September when he can't feel his fingers, he's got batting with four <laughs> jumpers on. He might not be as good as somebody who was born and bred in Guildford or in in Uxbridge or somewhere like that. That might not be that might not be the way to, you might be thinking. Oh, we might have missed a trick here. We might have, we might have picked the wrong one. Who's waiting on forty degrees and not four degrees? <laughs> Matt Parkinson has uh, returned to Durham and um, on loan until the end of the season and started very well in their championship game against Sussex. So that's great to, to see. I'm a big fan of Matt Parkinson and I, I think that there are that's a good move for him. Uh, so you can you can comment on that. The last word this week, though, I want to reserve for Ben Cox, purely because changing counties after 14 years is a is a massive, massive decision. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I just remember Ben Cox 
uh, being called up by Worcestershire as a 17-year-old. He was an A-level student six or seven years ago. Uh, he, you know, there was no limit to his ambition. He said he wanted to be the next James Foster. He, you know, he, he said he wanted to be the best keeper in England. I don't think he's lived up to his potential, and certainly not with runs. I mean, he's got 400s in all that time and averages 27. He's a better player than that. So after 14 years, at the age of 31, he's made the decision to join Leicestershire, who, by the way, are not lacking ambition, are they? Um, they've mm. made some big acquisitions and uh, they're clearly doing well under director of cricket, Claude Henderson. But but I hope it works out for, for Ben Cox. Um I, you know, people talk about get out of your comfort zone. I've never quite understood that. I always think, what's wrong with being comfortable? But um, maybe just that change of scenery, uh, and it's a big, it's brave decision, uh, might bring out the best in Ben Cox. Yeah, absolutely. He's a change is as good as anything. He, he might think, I've I've stood still a little bit. There's a new regime coming in at, at Worcester, and, and obviously Ashley Giles has, has come in, and there's quite a few players have gone out. And maybe Ben has seen the this sort of exodus of five or six players and gone, well, especially the wicketkeeper batsman role. Yeah, I, I'm not saying he, he was pushed, but he might. There might have been a conversation between all parties to to say we're going to try and bring in a younger model. We're going to build build around yeah, X, Y, and Z. And but also Ben might just go. You know what? I might just need a change of scenery to to sort of enjoy the last four or five years of of my of my uh, my career and. And good luck to him. The, the, a lot of a lot of players moving around, I think, is good. It's, it's positive um, because bygone years nobody ever moved. You know, very very few people moved. But now, I think because you want to get the best playing against the best, players will feel as though I, I want to try and get myself in a position to play as good a cricket as I possibly can with the best players I possibly can to try and fight to be in that first division. And if the, sorry, don't sign you. Um, you still just have a chance to play somewhere else and, and compete because, like you mentioned before, sorry, sorry, you're signing some good players, but I think Leicester are doing a good job. I think there's teams down in in that second division like Sussex who are producing fantastic players, not seem to be buying their way again through the uh, the, the academy levels of of all the sort of smaller niche, smaller counties. But it's also good to see that a 30, 31 year old can move with comfort and think right. The next phase of my career needs to be somewhere else, just to sort of um, reignite possibly the the love for the game, and that's possibly what Ben Cox has decided. But Leicester are are, are doing good things. I think Worcester are doing great things um, in who they're signing, and and it looks as though they could be in the first division of the championship next year. But you see players move. I don't think it's a bad thing, um, and for somebody like Ben to take the punt at thirty one year old when you've been there for fourteen years, he must have something in his mind to say right. I need an injection, and this is the way it is. Actually, final word, 30 seconds, goes this week, not for the first time, to Charlie Harmison. Our listeners are always interested in Charlie's career, and I know you're off to watch him again, aren't you, just uh, today or later on today? Yes, they're in the middle of a two-day game with Durham. It's been a great game so far. Some exciting young talent around. I've been watching young cricketers throughout this summer. Um, Got the great cricket and suntan. Um, and again, there were some international caps on the sidelines. Me and Phil Mustard both got lads playing in the game. And player Freddie, uh, Andrew Flintoff was with us about a month ago when Charlie played against Rocky. And young Charlie Franklin bowled, um, bowled really well. He's a year younger. Um, James Franklin's son, New Zealand all-rounder, uh, assistant coach at many, many franchises and the West Indies. 
So we had a couple of laps with a, and a very excitable young Franklin dog yesterday afternoon, um, catching the sun. But Charlie Franklin bowled nicely yesterday and Charlie bowled well at the end of the day. So they got another day to go in a two-day game against Durham. Um, and it's always good watching the young kids play cricket, to see them play for the love of the game and the enthusiasm they've got to try and make themselves better is why, for me, this is the greatest game in the world. Didn't Charlie take his first wicket for Ashington first eleven last week? He did. He took. He, he played. He was over the moon because he played with his two uncles. He's not going to play with his dad at that level because Ashton haven't got one of them black shirts big enough to fit his dad. But <laughs> he played with his uncle Ben, who played for obviously a lot of first class cricket, um, and he played with his uncle James. It was probably at Charlie's age the better of the three of us. Um, but he went down the football route, and Charlie got a chance to play with his two uncles. He was devastated because his two uncles managed to. I think he was next in. He needed Ashton needed 70 to win and Charlie was next in. So he had won the lottery. He was going to bat with one of his uncles. But unfortunately, he didn't figure out the fact that James was going to get 40 and Ben was going to get 50 and knock the game and win the game for them. So he he, he got he was disappointed with that. But his first wicket was caught by his by his uncle Ben and he enjoyed the the, the chance to play at 15 for a first team Premier League level, which was um which was a nice achievement for him. Wonderful. Charlie Harmison update number 53. Right. Um, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available, as always, from all good podcast providers. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. 